Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the times of refreshing, times like these where we're just able to come and worship and honor you. God, I thank you for the ability to, to even come before you as your creation. And somehow you give a voice, you give an ear to us. You allow us to come before you in humility and honor. And God, today we do that with the right attitude, the right heart. So that no matter what is going on in our lives, God, we're able to focus uh, on you. And so, God, we thank you for that. And thank you for uh, just giving us your very best in Christ. Thank you for having us in mind today. And thank you with all of what you have going on. uh, Where you not only run the universe and sustain it and take care of the greatest needs in the world but you're also concerned about the things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. So, God, thank you for your, uh, your omniscience, your omnipresence, your ability to, to be everywhere at once and to, to know us personally intimately. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, gang. You guys appreciate worship this morning. Amen. <laughs> That's kind of a paltry little applause, but I'll give you that, all right? It's okay. It's, it's, it's good. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, you know, it's busy. Everybody's busy. People ask, well, how you doing? Well, it's, it's busy. You know, we're moving. Uh, we're moving from Turtle Creek Township to Turtle Creek Township. I know it's tough. It's really tough. And, uh, but uh, we're, we are moving our things. If you came to our house today and you looked at it, you said, when is moving day? Well, moving day is Thursday. This week, and uh, we're closing on Friday. You say, well, uh, how ready are you? Well, if you came to my house today, it's pretty much set up like it's always been. And uh, so we have a lot to do. Not only that, but the house that we're moving into isn't ready yet, and uh, I'm doing a lot of that work. And so I was working 12 hours yesterday on uh, the new place, and so uh, that has its own challenges. And, uh, and so you guys can just pray for us. Pray for our unity, you know, that we keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in our home, uh, to use the Scripture verse. But anyway, uh, we're just uh, glad you guys are here. And I, I just looked forward this morning when I got up just to being with you guys and uh, just to be able to be in worship with everybody here and look forward to seeing friends people that love us, people that we love, and uh, it's great to be able to, to be a part of, of that, and uh, so many good friends. I had good friends that were with us here this morning. Uh, Mr. Niederman, have you ever been to Niederman Farms and seen the Christmas light display? He was here today. He, we've known each other for many, many years. His son and I, before he passed away, were really good friends. He went to our church in Westchester, and, uh, and so he, for several years, he said, I promise I will be at your church to visit one day, and after all these years, he told me, he said, a, a medical procedure recently, and he said, he'd hate to get to heaven and go, God, I kept all of my promises, but I didn't go to Stephen's church ever, so um, God, I'm just <laughs> happy to fulfill that promise, and, and uh, so he was here today, and uh, so we're glad you guys are here. Hey, we're in this uh, third week in our series called Joy Ride, and it's uh, kind of a, a traveling through the book of Philippians. There are more memorizable scriptures in the book of Philippians, I think, than any other passage or scripture in the Bible. And so every week, you're going to be learning a new memory verse, all right? And uh, so I'm going to test you a little bit today, just for fun. Let's see uh, how many of you remember these. Uh, we're in week three, right? So we've only had to remember two. And uh, the first one uh, from Philippians chapter one starts with the words, he who, does anybody remember this? He who began a good work in you will be what? 
faithful to complete it. Thank you to the three of you who actually memorized that, okay? Now then week two, Josh uh, gave us a phrase, and uh, his is much shorter. We like to give Josh the little ones because it's all he can handle. And uh, so anyway, he, he got to live as Christ and to die as what? Okay, so a lot of you, he apparently did a better job teaching than I did because, um, you know, you remember that one. Well, this week is Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and I get a long one again, but it is conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, and to kind of get it in your mind, let's go ahead and read it together. You ready? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, if I'm going to read that in its context, it goes like this. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as, for one, as, as one in the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now remember, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing this, is in a prison, not for anything he did wrong, just because simply he's sharing his faith in Christ and the resurrection. The Roman authorities didn't like that. They throw him in jail. They have him beaten. And uh, so here Paul is writing this incredibly warm letter, probably his warmest letter, on the topic of joy, how to have joy in the midst of circumstances. And what I'm going to do today is just take kind of that opening phrase, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. And for a little while, I want to focus on those two words, whatever happens. Because there are things that try to distract us from conducting yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. And the three things we're going to talk about today are temptation, trespasses, and trials. The first one, temptation, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, whatever happens. And he says, I want you to live this way in a manner worthy of the gospel, even if I'm not with you. I mean, it's easy to live for Christ when those who have spiritual authority over you are with you right then. And, or maybe you have a Christian friend who's with you, and you're able to live as Christ would live. But when they're away, just as Paul was away, it's easy to fall to temptation. So let me be real clear about what temptation is. This is the, the enemy's uh, opportunity, his situation he puts you in, to design, uh, to, that he designs to try to take you away from your relationship with God. God never tempts us. The Bible says that. But he uses temptation to help develop us, and yet the enemy wants to use it to take you away from him. So what about temptations? Even Jesus faced it. He never sinned, but he faced temptation. Right after he was baptized, the beginning of his ministry, he starts, and he's going into the wilderness, and the devil tempts him. And, uh, and right away, we know that happens. How did Jesus face temptation? He immediately confronted the enemy with the word of God. But one thing I know, if Jesus was tempted, we're all going to be tempted. And it's not a sin to be tempted. If Jesus was the Son of God, and He was, and He was tempted but never sinned, it's not a sin to be tempted. Martin Luther used to say, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And uh, if you have enough hair for them to build a nest in, some of you, some of you don't. Jim, sorry. Just, you're the first one I saw there. But that verse doesn't apply to you, all right? Um, 
But uh, here's the deal. So number one, it's uh, not a sin to be tempted. But remember, everybody who is tempted, you're all going to be tempted in very similar ways. Sometimes when we're tempted, we, we're afraid. We think, well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to, I'm the only person who's ever been tempted in this way. And uh, I feel like I'm really alone. And so the enemy makes you feel like a loner. This is the, or I'm the only one who's ever faced this. And so to kind of prove that theory wrong, we're going to do a little group self-confession today. Won't that be fun? All right, so here's what we're going to do. So you guys are going to raise your hands, all right, if you've ever been tempted in these ways, okay? And uh, it's an all-play. This will be a lot of fun. How many of you have ever been tempted to overeat or undereat? Raise your hand. Overeat or undereat, okay? Some of you have faced uh, moments of undereating, and uh, you have had a serious um, uh, pattern maybe of anorexia or bulimia, and it has been very difficult for you. And some of you are on the other ends of the spectrum, and you have been tempted uh, with overeating, and the Bible calls that gluttony. In other words, you reach that point of, I think I'm full, and then you go, ah, bring on another course, you know, and uh, let's, let's do it again. And, and so this is, this, you know, it's tempting to overeat or to undereat. How many of you have ever been tempted to compare yourself with other people? Raise your hand. You ever been tempted to compare yourself with other people? Maybe there's somebody else that has something you wanted or has a skill that you wanted. My wife right now is tempted to really wish that I was uh, Chip Gaines. You know, that's a, she, man, Lord, if he would only be Chip Gaines, it'd be just great, you know. Um, but uh, she married me. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so are you ever been tempted to compare yourself with other people? How many of you have ever been tempted by greed? Uh, you wanted something and uh, really wanted it, all right? It's a materialistic kind of thing. Raise your hand. It's, it's okay. Uh, you know, you wanted an expensive car. You wanted a more expensive house than you could afford. Or even just keep it simple. You wanted some clothes that, uh, that really was outside of the budget, but you're like, man, I really have to have that. And then you get that buyer's remorse after you buy it, and you realize, man, I shouldn't have bought that at all. That was one of the stupidest things I've ever done. We have all been tempted by greed. How many of you have ever been tempted to steal something? Steal money, money from your mom's purse or a pack of gum from the store? Raise your hand real quick if you've ever done that, okay? How many of you have ever been tempted to lie? My gosh, you bunch of liars, you guys. You, you wanted to steal some stuff. How many of you have ever uh, stolen an answer off another person's test paper? Come on now. See? Now we're practical. See, you're stolen stuff. How many of you have ever been tempted by some addictive behavior, uh, alcohol over and drinking in excess or drugs or what have you? Um, it's, uh, you can be tempted to do that. How many of you have ever been tempted with lust? Uh, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Uh, many of you. And uh, probably all of you, but some of you aren't willing to admit it. You need to get in the habit. The Bible says confession, it brings healing. And, uh, but so many, I mean, so much of what we watch on TV, so much of the advertising today drives us uh, toward that desire for lust. And the advertisers know that. Friends, here's the deal. All of us, did you see all the hands around the room? I mean, we have all faced those temptations. And when we're in the moment of temptation, we think, man, this is, this is uncommon, I'm unusual, but Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you, but what is common to man? And it's important to remember that uh, you're never going to outgrow temptation. If Jesus, the Son of God, was perfect, was completely mature, and was facing temptation, you're never going to get to a place in your spiritual life where you're not tempted. 
hopefully you'll get to a place in your spiritual life where you're able to continue to overcome it more and more and more, but you're still going to be tempted. Here's the point. Temptation always tests whether you love God more or you love the temptation more, whatever you're being tempted by, okay? Now, I want to give you a couple principles here. One of them is, if you're being tempted, I like to focus on good thoughts. Focus on something good and positive. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians 4, 8, whatever is good, right, noble, praiseworthy, uh, whatever is lovely and pure and admirable, if it's excellent, think about such things. Our daughter Hannah has that verse written in her room, uh, and it's a reminder to stay focused on the positive. I think when you're in the middle of temptation, instead of thinking about the temptation, you think about something else, something positive. I mean, you ever been tempted? Your uh, your mom, you go to her house for dinner, and you're on a little diet, and there's that, you walk by, and she has all these delicious desserts, you know. Recently, she's been making bread pudding, and uh, it's really tasty. And uh, But man, you see, maybe you walk by, see all those desserts, maybe you see that nice, beautiful chocolate cake that's just moist, and it's dripping with icing, and it's warm, and, and you're walking by that, and you're on that diet, and you start thinking, man, do not eat that delicious chocolate cake. Do not eat that moist, tender, delicious, icing dripping off of it, chocolate cake. And the more you think about that thing, you know what happens? You have two pieces. Why not? You know, you've already fallen. You might as well go all the way. I'm just kidding. So anyway, you're already eating it. See, when you're tempted and you focus on the temptation, it has this way of drawing us in. But instead of that, focus on the positive. Think about something that you want to be. Think about the goal that you have, whatever that is. And, uh, and say, say focus on that. The other thing is, I'd encourage you to get a spiritual partner. Get a spiritual partner. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. So as you go through life, you need somebody you can say, hey, I'm really being tempted by this. Can you help me out of this? I need some support, some encouragement. And could you keep me accountable on this issue? Now, when it comes to temptation, the principle is this. When you are tempted, it gets you to obey God more. It causes you to obey God more, all right? So when you're tempted, focus on obeying God. Here's the second one, trespasses. Now, what in the world is that? That's kind of an old biblical word. So what is a trespass? Temptation is what the enemy brings to us. Trespasses is what we do to one another. It's interpersonal, okay? Trespasses deal with this interpersonal relationship. And, and that's why in the Lord's Prayer it goes, Our Father who art in heaven. And then he says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And in this book, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Stand firm in one spirit and strive together. There is this togetherness that happens when we are uh, Christians, when we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's so important to stand together. In fact, the word for stand firm here in the text is actually was used for Roman soldiers who would have their their shield in one hand, their sword in another hand, and they would stand shoulder to shoulder and back to back so that as an enemy surrounded them, they would be in a good position to be able to maintain uh, their their wall. And, uh, And that's really what's used here too, to stand firm, hold your ground, regardless of the danger of the opposition. Now, when we are facing times of trespasses where people are coming against us, there will be people who throw criticism our way or gossip our way. And and so how would you handle that? Not only does it happen outside the church, sometimes it happens within our own ranks. And when that happens, how do you handle it? 
Well, Jesus gives us the example. Here he is on the cross. The, the ultimate moment of suffering for him. And Matthew chapter 27 says, Those who passed by looked at Jesus on the cross and they hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Here he is suffering for the very sins of the world. The very sins of the people who are hurling insults. Not only that. It says, in the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. So he's being mocked by the people who are passing by. He's being mocked by religious leaders. Not only that, in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also hurled insults. So even these two guys who were on the cross, they're dying as well. They, just, they didn't have anything else to do except to hurl insults at him as well. Not only that, all of Jesus' friends, the disciples, left him except for John. So here Jesus is literally in a, a time of being completely, 100% alone. And how will he face it? Luke tells us. When all of this is going on, Jesus looks at all of these people and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In times where you are facing someone who has trespassed against you, the scripture is very clear. We must forgive as God has forgiven us. He forgave the individuals. The truth is, in this life, you're going to be hurt. But if you're going to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, well, you have to face temptation with obedience to God. And you have to face these moments of trespassing with forgiveness to others. Remember, God has forgiven you. That always helps me when I, when I want to hold on to a grudge. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. God's never going to ask you to forgive anybody more than what he's already forgiven you. And secondly, remember God's in control. I mean, God's going to make it all work out in the end. God is, uh, the Bible says he, he will not be mocked. You reap what you sow, all right? And, uh, and so I fully think, the Bible says you can pray for your enemies, you know, what kind of prayer are you praying? I like the prayers of Nehemiah when he built the wall and he had all these people insulting him and hurling insults. He prayed, God, put their insults back upon their head. I love that, you know. I think a modern day version of that prayer would be, God, would that person that offended me, please give them chronic halitosis um, and, uh, and bed bugs just for fun. Amen. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That would be sort of vengeful. But anyway, so make sure that you are forgiving somebody. And remember, God's in control. He's going to take care of it. Remember Joe, the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? I mean, here he is, innocent guy, a little bit maybe not that humble with his brothers. But other than that, his brothers didn't like it. They throw him in a cistern and end up selling him to some, uh, some tradesmen. Uh, he ends up going to Egypt. And then as he rises to the ranks, gets falsely accused, gets thrown into prison. Here Joseph is, away from his home and his family. Everybody has kind of isolated him. And then years later, his brothers come back and they're sorry. Oh, we're so sorry. And you know what he says? You know what, guys? Hey, you, you meant that to harm me. I meant it. God meant it for good, he said. No matter what you meant it for, God meant it for good. It's okay, guys. And, uh, and so we have to, be, we have to remember uh, that same idea that God has a plan even when we have people coming against us. So in the middle of temptation, remember to obey God. And in the middle of times of trespasses where people are coming against you, falsely saying things against you, gossiping against you, stand firm and forgive. And the third one is trials. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. 
For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. Here Paul is writing in this jail, and he's in the moment of ultimate suffering. His life is going to come to an end soon. He didn't do anything to deserve this pain. He was not guilty of anything. And yet here he is. And he's writing to people that are facing trials as well. Now some of you today, you're facing real challenges, real struggles. Whether it be physical or financial or emotional or relational or spiritual, you're facing challenges today. Several of you. But I also want want you to keep it in perspective. The people that Paul is writing to literally have done nothing. And yet they are being ripped apart. Their families are literally... One who believes in Jesus, another who believes in Jesus are being taken apart. One family member is dying for their faith. Another is being persecuted in some way. These are significant, life-changing trials. And Paul writes to them that you have been chosen not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for Christ. Like it's a gift. And friends, the principle is this, God uses trouble to teach us to trust Him. That seems strange, doesn't it? But it's true. God uses trouble to teach us to trust Him. Dave Dravecki was a successful major league uh, pitcher until one day he found out he had cancer, and ultimately they removed his pitching arm and his shoulder. And he reported several years after that experience, there was a real temptation to wallow in self-pity, but I tried to turn it into a positive. He said, if you notice, you find the most lush vegetation and the most growth down in the valley rather than on the mountaintop. That's true. Growth happens in the valleys of life. And maybe you're going through a moment today where you feel like you're on the mountaintop. That's awesome. Those are great experiences. You're like, man, everything's going great. Me and God, we are doing great. That's awesome. But but you're going to face a valley moment. And when you do, I want you to remember the words of Paul in Romans, who said, we rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, really, Paul, did you really just write that? We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. That is a strange verse, but it's true. Literally, Paul is the author of the idea of no pain, no gain. I mean, if you are not facing some type of pain, you probably aren't growing in this life. And here's what I want you to know. The goal of the Christian life is not a comfortable life. It's not that you would be more comfortable. It's not that you would be more at ease. God is way more interested in developing your character than he is your comfort. Very much more. And that's different than the goal of many Americans. A lot of people want success or nothing. Comfort is the goal. But that's not it. God says the goal of life is your character, not your career, not your personal comfort. And until you understand that, this whole life is not going to make sense. Because when you go through those valleys, it's not gonna, it's, you're not going to understand it. And you're going to say, why, Lord? Why is this happening to me? You have to have an eternal perspective that says, no matter what, God, no matter what I'm facing, I trust you. I know you're going to bring about good in my life through this. I don't know how, but I believe it. You see, this is not a place for comfort. It's a place for character development. You know, Jesus went through a lot of trials, a lot of troubles. And his greatest was the night before he was crucified. Because he knew what was going to happen. Imagine having the foresight. You're God in the flesh and you know what's going to happen in a few moments. 
And so here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And notice one thing he does. He asks his disciples to come with him, especially his close friends, Peter, James, and John. And that tells me if Jesus needed his friends in times of trouble, you need your friends in times of trouble. And so you need to be calling people around you. That's why you need to be in some, some type of community group here at church. You need to have some type of friends around you encouraging you and supporting you. And so he goes before the Father and he begins to pray. And, and, and he prays in a very heartfelt prayer. My, my heart is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Abba, Daddy, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not as I will, as you will. So there is this intense moment in Jesus' life where he realizes that the only way, the only way to solve the problem of sins in this world is to walk through the trouble and the hardship and the pain. And friends, if you're going to become like Jesus, you have to learn to trust God completely, even when things look terrible and it looks like life is falling apart. You may think, I don't understand it, and maybe you don't right now. You may think, I'm sinking, I'm going under the water here, but, but maybe you don't understand it, but you can trust. That's where faith comes in. God, I trust that you have a plan for my life. I have been so touched over the years by people and their, their spiritual stories and their times of hardship. People have given me a window into their lives of very, very difficult times. I've told uh, young, young leaders who are coming up, young preachers and things like that, that it's such a privilege to do what we do. Yes, there's hardship, but it's such a privilege. I mean, in what other career are you invited into moments like um, the birth of a child, um, walking through, they'll invite you to like their graduation parties and their ceremonies, and uh, hey, could you, could you be a part of baptizing you know, um, that young person who's coming up and in the faith. And, and hey, could you, uh, when we're having a trouble and we, we're going to have a, a major surgery, could you come and pray for us? And, uh, hey, my, my mom died. Would you be a part of that service? And then ultimately, if I live long enough even, hey, could you come do my funeral? Um, so it's really unique to be able to walk people through all of those life's journeys and I had a lady at the church in Miamisburg when I preached there, a dear lady at our church named Brenda. And she was uh, so filled with joy and peace. She had a very difficult career. She was a critical care nurse. Uh, but one day she was surprised to learn that she was going to have to receive her own critical care. And she had cancer and it was going to be terminal. I pulled out my old funeral message for Brenda. So I could share just a portion of that with you guys today, what I said at her funeral several years ago. Here's what I said. A few weeks before she died, Brenda told me that Romans 8.28 was a favorite scripture verse. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, for those in the world who do not know the Lord, that's such a hard scripture to understand. How could something like this be good? But of course we know, and Brenda knew what this verse was all about. God wants us to have the best life in this world as possible, a life filled with blessings and friendship and loving family and good career. And Brenda enjoyed all of that. God works for the good of those who love him. Now, that doesn't mean we have a life absent of hardship or pain because that comes to every one of us. And really, that's where we learn to grow and mature and develop. 
And Scripture makes it clear, He not only works for our good here on this earth, but He also offers to those who love Him an eternity with Him in heaven when we die. The last time that I was with Brenda, I said, Brenda was alert enough to talk to me, and I asked her, how are you doing? Are you fearful? And she said, no, oh no. God never promised we wouldn't have trouble, but He did promise that He would walk with us and carry us through to the other side. And I said, that's why it really is a good day. That's why we celebrate today. That, friends, is spiritual maturity. That spiritual growth. It's realizing that we're not living for the here and now, but living in light of eternity. And yes, there are tough ta- things to go, go through in our lives of varying degrees. And everybody has their own troubles, but God is using them all to make us like Christ. And then this verse. James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man and woman who remain steadfast under trial, for when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. Brenda was a great example of someone who endured trouble and still trusted God. You know, I like uh, old photos. Time magazine had a special issue a few years ago called 150 Years of Photojournalism. And one of the memorable pictures was of Lieutenant Colonel Robert Stern returning home, Travis Air Force Base. And Air Force Officer Stern had been shot down over North Vietnam in 1967. He'd been a POW for some time. And his family wondered if they would ever see their beloved dad, their beloved husband, again. But he was released. And this picture is of, of, of his homecoming. This is the picture of him ra- coming off the plane and his family racing across the airplane, airport to meet him. Out in front is his daughter, about 17. She has her arms wide open to leap into the arms of her daddy. Her face is beaming. She just can't wait to get there. And behind her is another teenage son running to meet his dad and a little daughter, face all glow. Then she comes. And then, running behind her, in high heels, is the wife. Her face just beaming from ear to ear. She's got a corsage on to meet her husband. And back in the back is a smaller son who may not have even remembered his dad, but he wants to be part of this great reunion. And all their faces are all lit up like light bulbs. And he's ready now. His arms are open to be welcomed home by his family. And the title of this photo is burst of joy. And it won a Pulitzer Prize. And friends, that makes me think about the, the burst of joy that we are going to experience someday in heaven. I mean, can you imagine what that's going to be like? When we run, faces all aglow, ready to meet grandparents and parents and children and relatives and people we haven't seen for years. And just the squeal of delight as we embrace burst of joy, the ultimate joy ride. And then we embrace Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful. You endured the temptation. You obeyed God. You you faced people who trespassed against you and you forgave. You endured the trials of life and you trusted God. And here you are, 
There's an old song that we used to sing called, When We All Get to Heaven, What a Day of Rejoicing That Will Be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Joyride. So don't forget, church, whenever you're in the middle of temptation or trials or hardship, or whenever you have people that have trespassed against you, that in the end, that God works all of that out according to His good and for your good. The Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Reap to the flesh, you'll reap destruction. Reap to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. So don't grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. When temptation comes, obey. When trespasses come, forgive. When trials come, trust God and look to eternity. It's worth it. God, we thank you today for loving us. Today we honor you. We're going to worship you. We're going to focus our eyes and attention heavenward. We're going to turn our eyes upon Jesus. We're going to look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of that glory and that grace. We're going to worship you now, God, for loving us. We're going to celebrate you now. And God, thank you for helping us through those times of trouble and reminding us what's most important. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.